Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. When you hear about movies where they shot 40 takes, and I'm like, please, come on, you know, learn your lines or something, I don't know. But I mean, in this case, doing as much as we did really helped us find more to it, and I think more honest and better performance. Better Call Saul star Bob Odenkirk says the amount of workshopping he and his co-stars did paid off as they made one of the best shows of the decade. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Better Call Saul stars Bob Odenkirk, Ray Seahorn, and Giancarlo Esposito, as well as exec producer Peter Gould about the legacy of their landmark series. But first, on the Award Circuit Roundtable, Matt Donnelly joins us for an update into how the SAG after strike has impacted publicists, talent agencies, and more. And of course, we chat about the Barbenheimer Weekend to Remember. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Well, hey, everyone. Variety TV editor Michael Schneider back in the house along with Clayton Davis, Hello, Emily Michael. Longaretta. Hi. And we got a fresh voice in the mix. The one and only Matt Donnelly. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Matthew Donnelly's Thanks here. For it's a fresh. In. What a off, time to be alive. <laughs> off the front lines. So yes. it really does feel like we are. I feel like a struck entity <laughs> yes. these past three weeks dealing with dual labor strikes in Hollywood. Yes, yes. <laughs> you you are right there at the battle lines. Yeah, you have been. We're, we're bringing uh, people on every week to ask them, uh, do you have the answer to what stops this right now? Yeah, who can you call? Yeah. yeah, like, come on, Matt, pull some strings. You know, actually, I was really hopeful, and some people weren't, but I was really hopeful that the UPS strike would <laughs> sort of make bring this to critical mass, because that would have been 500,000 union and oh like gosh. people striking in California mm-hmm. right. and then yeah. perhaps higher levels of government would get involved or at least you know maybe I could see like a collab mm-hmm. between the actors and the UPS people yeah. maybe like a coordinated dance moment maybe like something like whatever just to sort of bring this issue up and they settled but so someone texted me this morning a very uh, influential person texted and said how did UPS figure this out and we didn't that's <laughs> literally though that they said Please UPS can answer. figure this out and we can't that says something yeah see I was excited because I thought UPN had resolved the strike <laughs> hey UPN's they, Back? They, that they is fantastic. Yes. Going to marathon it forever. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, CW's Buffy not back, but you Let's go. And don't forget, oh. don't forget, homeboys in outer space. Yes. Yeah. Oh so God. I have no memory of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Matt, because you're an East Coaster like me, so yeah. I, I feel like we have some uh, love here. Sure. 
Um, what is Channel 9 now on the East Coast? Where, where, what took UPN's spot? Oh, we're going I to think, the weeds. Well, how, many, how, many, no, Michael, how many rebrands? There was, it was Paramount United Network or, uh, it, or, or so they had like 17 rebrands. And then I think it went to First Run Syndication. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. It's, so, it's, oh, is that yeah. what it is? It's, okay. It's still WWOR, Channel 9, but now it's MyNet. It's, yeah. It's, part, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. We were, I was, sounds I was, like a medication. I was like, like, awful, like, I was like, like, like I remember, I remember the WB Frog into the CW and then I was like, and UPN became and I was like, became yeah. most yeah, of those stations yeah. became my net, yeah. but yeah. we're way in the weeds. Yeah. Let's, 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 okay, let's yes. bring, bring them in. My, <laughs> this is what they're striking about. The yeah. return of UPN. UPN. That's, that's the one thing that's the sticking point <laughs> that somehow they just can't come to terms. Actually, that's oh the one God. thing all everyone agrees on is let's not bring back UPN. Right? Um, but so, Matt, you had a story uh, as uh, we're recording, actually, uh, today – the publicists actually sat down with SAG-AFTRA to discuss their concerns and kind of bring us up to date on what some of those concerns were and and what the reaction was from SAG-AFTRA. And second call, by the way, right? Was their second call? They had one early on. First official call during the strike. But basically, I mean, what this, the position that the strike puts the talent publicists in is if actors can't promote their work, publicists don't really become that useful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny, actually, as I did just publish the story and on my way down, to record this podcast, fielded about 18 angry phone calls from publicists saying that we're fine, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the reality is, yes, there's there's a lot of, um, of of work stoppage that it's not just on Hollywood sets. It's in you know so many ancillary businesses across this entire industry, um, and the publicists have a, a lot of legitimate fears. You know, in the past couple of years, it's really interesting. Um, I believe uh, someone called it the great PR unbundling. Where the town used to be run by these really big monolithic agencies, PMK, Rogers and Cowan, ID, which are still kind of around in some form, but a lot of, you know, sort of executives who were broaching on the senior level wanted to break off and run businesses their own way and sort of, I'm sure, you know, benefit financially from all their hard work. So now you've got a landscape that is full of smaller agencies that are populated by huge clients. Um, and in that case, a lot of these companies, their only bread and butter is retainer fees from actors. Mm-hmm. So they don't have these big diversified businesses like you know agencies like rnc pmk Mm -hmm. as it's merged now is called represent sports players they represent huge brands like target and you know gillette or whatever is sponsoring comic-con this year Um, (laughs) so you know it's it's really kind of like an existential crisis when you when you project out into the fall when no projects can come out and then obviously coming up literally around the corner are the fall festivals so it's venice telluride toronto Um, and according to the guidelines of the strike actors would not be allowed to even promote work that is produced or distributed by quote-unquote struck companies. So I think they have a lot of sort of, again, hard realities to look at. And uh, there's panic. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think anyone expected the rules to be this strict yeah. in terms of just not being able to say anything, not even go on social media yeah. and promote your shows. Absolutely. It's... Or your magazine covers that you might have shot before or oh, point to, right. yeah. If, if, it, it's, uh, if it's regarding a struck project. Of course. And it's interesting because we've talked a little about this that right some writers have found a way around it a bit with WGA because mm-hmm. if they are being pitched by their personal publicists who are not affiliated with the studio some of writers are comfortable doing that and technically that is not 
breaking the rules. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like we're finding a, ra- a writer kind of a way around that with SAG. No. And I again, not to – I don't want to go UPN in the weeds, but there were some really <laughs> interesting things that shook out of the call, like it, it, the granular level that they're taking it down to. Like, you know, if your client is, let's say, an older actor who is up for, like, let's say, a Lifetime Achievement Award at one of these festivals, he can go or she can go, but they can't show us as a reel of work that it's made by a struck <sighs> company. Oh. Um, they have to be a guest of the festival, like paid by accommodations by the festival, not by a struck company. Like, it's – it's so, and you know, even like a lot of ways you'll see actors kind of get through this uh, is with branding deals and like influencery type social media stuff. That that's allowed to continue, but it can't in any way be sort of like referencing any of their work. Like so, <laughs> yeah. it's like for instance, in a Dream World, if, you know, Margot Robbie signed a lip gloss deal with a company that, and she had to reference Barbie, that would be a no go. So yeah. right. it's incredibly arbitrary it feels like i know i saw jeremy allen white actually this morning on instagram posted an ad on his story but it was for like stella beer so it was like (laughs) not at all that have to do with food not to do with the kitchen or anything that could be related to the bear stella was uh, a product integration on season two that's the sign above the bear you're right it's it's sort of like the wink wink exactly you may know me from projects such as well i don't know just hold it on television (laughs) i love it at my house <laughs> but you know what? They, but that it's also they need to make money. I mean, I think that's sure. something that yeah. I was just talking to Mike about. It. People don't realize that some. I think a lot of the outside world that aren't in Hollywood or some in New York, but are see these actors and see like, oh, he's whiny actors on the line, yeah. and it's that they're thinking they're these like rich people on the line. That's it's not inter- the case. Because not to just reference Matt Donnelly's more other writings. Oh, it's it's, 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 it's just Matt, a Matt podcast today. week here. So Matt wrote another great piece <laughs> yeah. about where are the A listers on. Uh, yeah. Uh, during the strike, yeah, and it came out yesterday that Dwayne the Rock Johnson donated money to mm-hmm. uh, SAG after seven a, figures, seven yeah. figures, undisclosed amount. And I did a TV hit today in which I asked, like, you know, why do you think he did something like that? And I was thinking about your article, and some people are afraid to come out for one; uh, they feel like people could yell at them, and be like, "You make money, why are you here?" Right. Yeah. Or they come out. And we are what's different from 1960, everyone has production deals and all these other deals. Mm-hmm. We have writer, director, producer more than we did in 1960, so they don't want to ruffle the feathers. This is a way for them to support without actively saying, Bob Iger, what you said was not uh, very nice or kind and you shouldn't say that. Right. So this is a way to do that. And I wonder if more people will take the lead yeah. on what yeah. The Rock did. We're head out into New York because we saw this morning that mere hours after Matt's story came out, some A-listers trickled yeah. out to New York um, and we're out we there. Can we talk about what A-list means? Right. No, I, 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 I'm kidding. I, but the funniest thing Justice I did see was um, I was told that Yes, in the hours after my story published, they recruited Jessica Chastain and Michael Shannon, who are both coincidentally nominated for Emmy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they are. Yeah. To stand just on a reminder. stage <laughs> and say nothing. It's, to just stand there and look pretty. They just stood there. It's so, the non-FYC. Yes. We can, but, at least SAG's not reactive to Variety's right. <laughs> But it is. It, it does bring up a good point where it's sort of the double-edged sword because, yeah, yeah as, as you rightfully asked, where are all the A-listers? But yeah. then if you do bring out too many A-listers, then it brings up the debate of – well, to the, the average American, well, it's just these rich A-list stars. What do they have to complain about? They're mil- they're billionaires, 100%. practically. And that's always been the perception versus reality of Hollywood, right? Yeah. You right. see Tom Hanks, George Clooney, you're like, oh, you guys are rich, you're fine. Yeah. That's like 
the 1%, this is Bernie, right. all over right. again. Right. Yeah. 1%, that's everyone not, else. That's not what the strike is about. Yeah. So maybe you don't want totally. them to be the, stri- right. the face of the strike. You want those you want day players. Yeah. <laughs> a, a prominent, um, a, a very the sort of like entrenched SAG after member told me for that story, um, you know, speaking anonymously, that you know, if Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon show up, they look like they're crying poor, and that's kind of the opposite right. message. But yeah. there are so many, Emily, to your point, there are so many stories like that. Uh, her name escapes me, but on the first day of the strike, I spoke to a woman who was sitting with like a one and a half month old baby. Well, maybe older. I don't want to get her in trouble with like <laughs> a newborn. Let's say she's with a newborn at Netflix, and she's like, I, I have managed to live like a lower middle class life in Los Angeles, which is, by the way, incredibly expensive to live here, um, where the work is. Uh, with like you know she was on This Is Us and I think she's uh, on two seasons of um, a Hulu show and she's still definitively probably just under middle class. So yeah. to your point, like it's it's a complicated employment structure. Yeah, and that's what yeah. strikes you when you go not, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. When when you go out on the picket lines and you see a lot of faces, that's like I know that person. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. seen like oh wait they were on Superstore. I yeah. don't know their name, yeah. but they were great on a lot Superstore. Of that guy, that girl. And now they're a strike captain yeah. because I'm sure like. You know, that was, you know, fine at the time, but that's one gig and you can't yeah. live a life based on whatever superstore no. residuals. I mean, you're that getting. stat that always kills me is that the eighty seven percent of the SAG after membership couldn't afford uh, they didn't qualify for healthcare last year, which means they made twenty five thousand dollars. Exactly, twenty five thousand dollars is below poverty rate. It's beyond. And how are they living in in LA or New York? It's exactly. impossible to do and that. Also, and it's it's just sort of this like you know it's this avalanche too because when you get into that, I, I'm working on a story now about self tape. Mm-hmm. regulations like when actors because of covid so many actors have been forced to tape themselves for auditions as opposed to in person and all the time the actual real very real money it costs to get it through absolutely um the, you know this kind of like byzantine casting process it's a really really hard career right now mm-hmm. and it kind of it's i mean yes yeah it's always been you know what i mean it's not like the if it, if it was easy everyone would do it yeah um it's the irrational <laughs> it's the irrational thing you want to do like i'm gonna go to hollywood yeah. and try to make it yeah. exactly so yeah. yes it's hard but also when you when you get that that gig that 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 Netflix show, you're like, I made it, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those years of Dharma and Greg are over where you <laughs> land a recurring role on that and then you're good forever and now you can just keep trying to get yeah. the next one. Now you get a Netflix show and you're like, better Forgive me, but one. I have to say this too. It always makes me think of I'm a huge Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fan. And <laughs> years ago when Eileen – Davidson joined the cast okay. from, I believe she was on Young Days. She was a soap opera star. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lisa Rinna, another iconic yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, I think some people were sort of like making fun of her online or, or some other women in the cast. And she's like, do you know what it means to work for 18, 19 years <laughs> in one job? Are you crazy? Right. She's better off than half of us Literally. with your tax evasion yeah. on this thing Literally. too. But it's true. It's incredibly rare to find consistent lo- yeah. consistent employment and longevity yeah. as an actor. Yeah, that's why a lot of the soap stars never leave. Right? <laughs> yeah. they come back. Constantly, it's oh, like, exactly. Hey, look, Luke and Laura are back again. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Never. We couldn't stay away. Yeah. And I just bought a house in Laguna, so I have exactly. to come back for this arc. I mean, like, yeah, the, the goal. Jamie Francis was, doing just fine. Uh, the goal always was get on the I soap can't. or land on Law and Order <laughs> yeah. or That's right. C- yeah. CSI, oh my God, and you'll be good forever. NCIS and CSI gigs are just that must oh. be like what an easy life. Anytime someone leaves, like any either of those procedurals or there's been some Chicago mainstays who have chosen to leave because they can't deal with the weather in mm-hmm. Chicago, I'll keep my, those names to myself. <laughs> I'm like, you realize what you're giving up? Like a procedural that is in rerun still and that, that's yeah. so that's rare that that's happening now. That's going to last another 15 years. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
Why? Not money like, puts shoes on kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm saying, buy like, a winter jacket. And right. Suck you should. It up. You should <laughs> all be Mark Harmon. Like, like, like I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty sure Mariska Hargitay bought Activision. Like, <laughs> yes. she's, she's probably part of that deal. Because at the end of the world, it's going to be her on Necker Island and everyone else underground. Like, it's going to be Mark Harmon. It'll be a procedural star that actually buys ABC and goes up for sale. Oh my so, God. I wonder if that's like, true. Ellen, Ellen Pompeo. Yeah, Ellen buy. Pompeo and Mariska could do it yeah. together. My gosh. Actually, oh my maybe God. Shonda should buy ABC. Mm. Maybe she should actually, yeah. She'd have to get her volume up. But, yeah. but quality <laughs> is better than quantity, as we learned with Shonda. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> uh, well, Matt, something else. Uh, you know, so we, we talked a lot about the impact on um, you know certain aspects of this business, the, the strikes and what that's going to mean long term for the publicist. But for the agencies, mm. uh, we're starting to also see questions of what happens to especially the smaller agencies, the, the Verves and the Gersh's of the world yeah. uh, that uh, you know still sort of rely a lot more on their clients. And if their clients aren't working, then the, the bottom can drop off really fast. Absolutely. And that's on top of all the incredible transformation that's been happening in that business anyway. Say nothing of COVID, which we all had to survive. And then, um, you know, Michael, I'm sure you're well aware, what was it, two years ago after the um, sort of, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on this. Edit this out. Um, when, when, when oh, the, we don't when edit man- anything. When the- <laughs> Shit, how dare you? When the- when, that out. Um, when the management craze took over, a lot of I think a lot of um, agents sort of broke off uh, amidst mm. the um, the WGA yeah. uh, Alliance for Agents War um, to become managers, so they could sort of operate under a different name um, and right. a different compensation, uh, and that caused a lot of like you know a lot of padding to some of these smaller agencies, or actually some losses in that case. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really again when your sole source of revenue is commission coming in from working clients mm-hmm. it's you know it's very simple math at that point you can do it on a cocktail napkin yeah your survival so it's 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 dangerous and also we, there's just so much consolidation happening right now in that mm-hmm. sector and everywhere um you know ca and icm and ca is now on the verge of um coming back uh off of um, private equity ownership from TPG, um, so yeah, it's 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 incredibly disruptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it Salma Hayek's going to run? CAA she now, actually, right? I think she could do. After seeing her in Black Mirror, I think she could run yeah. whatever she yeah. wanted to run. I, um, but I, yeah, her husband is yeah. about to pay seven billion dollars reportedly for uh, to to bring CAA back out of private equity. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, there no, you go. I can't like, imagine at this time too. Yeah. Right. A time when there are no actor or writer revenue checks are coming in. It's very, very impressive salesmanship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. Yeah. Um, and, and just throw CNN in. Too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. that's just like. A shout out to Tatiana Siegel, another one of our colleagues yes. who had an amazing so, story this week story. on the fate of CNN. Yeah. So but, it's kind of like, no, the, the lose. <laughs> if you lose your company, you have to run CNN. So, Matt, as, as we look now, um, I think there's a question of like how long can – I think there – I don't know if it's like a domino effect. Who starts hurting the most first the longer this goes on? So who yeah. is the most vulnerable at the moment uh, of this entire landscape? Because I mean I think on its face you look at festivals, mm-hmm. like what that, that could look like because they already had rough three years. Uh, publicists didn't – I'm not saying they didn't suffer during COVID, but they 
didn't have like that loss of business right. the way that they're going to experience now. Sure. There are sort of two paths we can look at, two sort of metrics. One is just like actual time marching forward. And no one knows more than you guys that the Emmy season has been adversely impacted. FYC um, and, and just in general enthusiasm around that award cycle, that's probably up next and more immediately. I mean, have, do we know? Have they moved it yet? Or? They haven't moved it oh, yet. Okay. Not, Not as official. Official. time. Not official. Yeah, yeah we'll okay. probably have a better September idea. September 18th, guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> September 18th. I, next <laughs> week, big. next week yeah. we'll have a better idea. Be the decision. And yeah. then I think you'll see phase one of Academy Awards, Clayton, which obviously you're very deep in charge. It starts mid-November, which, yeah. which I okay. think I shouldn't be, in theory, in, mm-hmm. impacted. I did hear uh, just <laughs> rumor mills someone had, had thrown out to me. They were like, what if the Academy did an extension qualifying window again like they did during COVID? Huh. If movies had to push back. And I think that would be a non-starter for the Academy because that year was Terrible. It was terrible. It and was if that means that the show moves to April, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I they're, already in, they're, already, they're already in early March and we hate them. Like, yes. for that. Yeah. So Too much. During South by Southwest weekend, yeah. no less. I know. Oh but I think okay. the other more important sort of um, scale to look at this on is in terms of just like day in, day out human experience. Because I think what you're going to start seeing as, as soon as September and then definitely by October is people getting evicted, small businesses shutting down, like florists. You know, by the way, half the, um, catering craft service i know in town is done by independent people sometimes in their apartment kitchens and they just Mm -hmm. rent like four air fryers and sweat it out like all of that is going to start the bottom's going to start falling out of that and then you're going to see i think probably a it's not like in the pandemic where you know you could relocate and then come back for work or move to atlanta and find similar work there i think it's going to be a little a little sweaty and scary about how this how talent is going to redistribute itself in in our industry um and I think that's going to be – I think it's kind of our job to keep up with that. But I think that that will yeah. be felt. You'll see yeah, a lot of sad stories. Like when, they, when they turn it back on, like – I mean, people think like, oh, if they come to a deal tomorrow, it's not like just a switch, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to like reshuffle Well, especially everything. when you think about writers have been out of work for a month. And that's a long – well, more than a month. And that's a long time to not have a paycheck. And not to cast aspersions, but I imagine if you're a writer, you can probably sit and write. While there's a strike, you just can't sell it. But for actors, (laughs) you you can't sit there and you know do your one man show and then expect it to get distributed. Right, and it's not like you can be sending in home sales tapes either. You can't do anything. And also, by the way, for the just to warn everyone, and I I hate to like put a sour note on such an incredible weekend we just had with Barb Barbenheimer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But you're not going to get a moment like that in 2025 at all. If the studios can't fill the pipeline with mm-hmm. ten pull movies for that year, yeah. because right. those are all in production now, so you're looking at a completely vacant summer in 2025, mm-hmm. which God knows what this industry and theatrical will look like when yeah. we get there. Yeah, it's going to be up to Tom Cruise to save movies again. Yes, came out came out limping this weekend a little bit, but, yeah. <laughs> and he still was there. Can, can he made just, a presence still. Talking about the Barbenheimer and the effect of that for a minute. Now we know why. Cruz was asking for those IMAX screens. Oh, totally. So much because it was 19 million did, did do week two. Those, the biggest drop of a Mission Impossible movie in the second week yeah. in its entire franchise history. That's like. I mean, that's impressive. That's impressive for yeah. sure. Also, but also, but... I think a little bit, and this is no, like, I like Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it was a misread of Top Gun. I think they, I think total misread. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, like Tom Cruise just sells movies forever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, that was different. It was like mm-hmm. almost like like Barbenheimer. I think it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah, people yeah. are going to try to replicate this a thousand yeah. times, and which is just fail. called counter programming. Yeah, way. They're like oh my god, they're what like, is this? Huge new it's thing. Called it's counter programming. New guys. Yeah. Um, it's called past lives in yeah. June. <laughs> but I would say this about Mission, and I am I am not a critic, and I 
have no desire to be, but like <laughs> Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout was a very good movie. <laughs> I'll just say that. And also Fallout had Superman, uh, a a completely sort of like uh, skyrocketing Vanessa Kirby mm-hmm. in this incredibly memorable role that sometimes when you do massive action ensembles, you need more than one star. That's I'm just true. Gonna, just going to mm-hmm. put that out there. Ensemble usually means that. Yes. <laughs> I think that there is a there are several lessons to learn from yeah. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. But I think that the same thing that you're saying is exactly what we're we're dealing with now with like fall TV. It's like yeah. everyone is like, oh, this is going to affect. No, this is affecting the months to come because guess what? We're getting no dramas and no scripted yeah. television well, in well, the fall, fall right fall now. Fall TV. Uh, if I'm based on what we've heard, there is like going to be some fall, new fall TV. Well, there's stuff that's well, been in the spring can. is what's yeah. going to suck. Yes. Yeah. So it well, like, the yeah. things that. Shows that are returning are not going to be coming back. That's in the fall. That's not going to be happening. Right. But it's shows that were, you know, filmed and that were originally supposed to air last yeah. year that mm-hmm. got pushed yeah. or things like that that yeah. are already. Be a lot uh, of new shows. And NBC yeah, shows that were shows. sitting on the shelf for a long time. Well, they face so that, we know like, they're really great. <laughs> well, they face that like horrible, re- like uh, which is similar to like the retool cavern from like the, their finales in, at Thanksgiving and that doesn't come back on until March. Like mm. with my, I loved Alaska Daily. It was t- terrible <laughs> but i loved it so much because it was about journalism yeah. but um but like i'm like this show has been off the air for two and a half months and you're gonna come give me three more oh it's gonna cancel oh, that's, yeah that, that's 100%. Big broadcast Sky television. That a bunch of times and the then i was like oh this is broadcast. definitely gonna... they're like but... now everyone's a mobster in new jersey yeah. <laughs> yeah. but the benefit of broadcast is that because it's a week-to-week schedule you can get it on a lot faster yes. you're not having to wait to have 10 episodes in the can before True. you go Beautiful so yeah. they'll be able to hopefully ramp things up especially if they do suddenly, oh, look, I've got a script uh, yeah. within a week or two yeah. of things getting back to going then. Right. You- because as you said, people have been, people probably aren't yeah. writing. And a lot of the people were writing <laughs> before. I mean, a lot of the writers knew this yeah. was coming. We all saw this oh, coming. So they, they were writing. can't police what you also. do with your free time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of them had, I know certain shows that were supposed to premiere in the fall that obviously will not be able to now but like their entire season of scripts are were in before yeah so they just obviously can't yeah film. well right. don't forget the traditional like setup of tv is you write a script in a week yeah, yeah. But, i mean yeah. that's like traditionally when that's the only way you can do 26 episodes right. a season yeah. <laughs> this uh, is such a random question but for you guys do you think that streaming will pivot to a weekly drop model more aggressively mm-hmm. than we've seen them before because of that to address that drought wouldn't well, you I'm, say I'm they're already thinking doing like that? Well, it's with some of them. And I, also, it's never really Netflix. But I'm thinking, like, yeah. I, I watched the Heartstopper trailer today. And right. I'm like, that's coming out August 3rd. It's going to be old news by August 6th. That's my yeah. opinion, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, You're if right. you are facing this big drought, like, why not dump them two or three at a time? Because I would have watched I, this whole weekend. I watched the new season of Sweet Magnolias. And oh. I would have watched it weekly. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Exactly. So, but you know what? Netflix does do If anyone does that, you owe us a check. Yeah. <laughs> but Netflix <laughs> does do that with, that with their right reality now. stuff. Because throughout the handle, they're doing it. Right. They do it, like, in four bowls. Or, yes. And yeah. Maybe that is. Like, they'll be doing it with Ultimatum, which is coming soon too. Yeah. A new yeah. season of Ultimatum. Which is weird so that they've adopted it for that because it's the most bingeable like right. content. Yeah. On right. Netflix. Instead of the scripted. Yeah. Because I guess Love Island does it now on Peacock too. Weekly. Yeah. Well, nightly. Oh, yeah. Nightly. 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 Yeah. Nightly. yeah. I mean, you're, you've been seeing sort of that go that direction for a while now that uh, you know the other streamers generally are starting to do the weekly drop. So totally. or Hulu do that that really really mean thing where they give you three at once oh, awful. for the premiere and then, and then, then trickle it out. Handmaid's Tale out. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't got, I don't got time to watch more than three anyway. <laughs> three is too. I'm like, much. there's my whole weekend. But, but, I'm watching a whole season. But, but like, then, what do you do from 7 p.m. to midnight? Where you take your Ambien, Mike? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> 
also no rhyme or reason for because like the bear, they were like, here's all of them. Exactly. Yeah. A show that definitely should have read oh, that, 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 that hilarious comedy. Through that at an alarming rate. Like, at, like a dark, scary rate. I watched that show. I was like, guess I'm not leaving oh, my house. My God. Um, could we have to talk about it because we have to give the people what they want. Barbenheimer weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who saw it? I saw both. You saw so, both? I saw yes. both as well. Did you not do your American duty? I did. I have not oh seen God, either really? so far. But I have not seen either. Oh, I'm the only woman in the world who has seen But I did Barbie. already see Haunted Mansion, which I oh, oh, God. oh my God, I loved Haunted. It was fantastic. On brand. Um, yeah, I mean, this Mike is, and I are def- nothing this is, is not definitely TV versus film right now, like in real time. Exactly. Um, but. Start- Start, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah. so I have seen quite a few movies this summer, but it's all the ones that, <laughs> that no one else has seen. He, he, yeah. he is so caught up on the 2021 Oscar Frida. season. How <laughs> was Nomadland? By the way, shout out to Elemental. Yeah. I, Good. Oh, so they, sh- you know, they showed that at Cinema. They showed 20 minutes of it at CinemaCon this year. Um, I thought it was convention good. of movie theater owners for listening, mm-hmm. um, and it was seemed like this really beautiful yeah. immigrant story. Yes, and uh, and then no one went. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, but, the marketed movie, so yeah, to get people to see it. There's that. Yeah. That's true. Um, um, the funniest part about Barbenheimer to me is is. Um, and it was, it was, of course, like obviously growing up and I film is my primary vertical and I love it so much. It's, it was very emotional for, I think, a lot of people in this industry to see, you know, cineplexes flooded and see people do multiple showtimes and see people mm-hmm. like, you know, and all the, you know, surrounding businesses like restaurants and what Uber or whatever it Packed. is stimulated. Um, but the funniest conversations I saw play out were what people said was the, like a psychotic order in which to see them. Which was Barbie then Oppenheimer? It's like you need to see Oppenheimer first, right? To be plunged into the depths of man's, you know, most devious part of his soul, and then Barbie is like the you know the sugar that brings you yeah, back of up. Course. So that, I just it's so funny that the people who went to Barbie then Oppenheimer. It's like you know, that would never. I think the way you do it is Oppenheimer until the IMAX film breaks down. <laughs> yeah. And then you switch over, watch Barbie, and then hopefully by the time you're done with Barbie, they fix the film, and then you finish Oppenheimer. That, so can, really can I just idea. say, and like to want to be in a room with Christopher Nolan right now, I would beg to, because my screening, it broke it, like 20 minutes yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Then they switched to the DCP, act like that wasn't the DCP, because we can yeah. see the difference between film and <laughs> Digital, yeah. and then that thing that was going around the internet of like half the screen in pink for the last thirty minutes. I mean, yeah. that and is, I was like, no. One is, I mean, that no must have been be Barbie coming someone. in. Oh yeah, he hasn't slept that's since. Yeah, literally, Barbie sleeping into the theater years ago when Quentin Tarantino did The Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. that, that, which I think was a long break for him in between films. Mm-hmm. Um, his head of distribution had to. He insisted on a first opening weekend run of only thirty-five millimeter projection. Mm-hmm. So like. Uh, that that wasn't a Weinstein Company film, was it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it okay, was. so I think Harvey paid for uh, an airplane hangar at Barker Hangar, so where they could like find pieces Naturally. of 35 millimeters from all over the country, put them together to the rollout. They all failed. It was like, who cares? I, I made you all tap dance for me, and it's amazing. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't care about the visual experience. Like, you should have done yes. this because I asked for it. Oh my gosh. What a great <laughs> so maybe use Chris of money. is adopting a, uh, uh, hopefully adopting an attitude like that. Like, at least you tried. I will say the Barbie part of my weekend is I've been watching, I mentioned this, HGTV's Barbie Dreamhouse, oh, which is yeah. the Barbie Dreamhouse Challenge, which Hosted is a bunch by of- Ashley Graham. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she's great. Great, by the way. Love her. Um, but there's a really a lot of like HGTV staple people on there, like Ty Pennington <laughs> and Allison Victoria. And... Ty Pennington's still around? Yes. How's that hair and... You know what? <laughs> hair you know and what? face. Sorry I asked. He's yeah. looking good. Is I'm not really? going to lie. 
I'm not gonna lie. He went living. through a rough went through a rough patch. Okay. And, we all do. You know, yeah. brought it home, crushing him. But I will him. say the show is very well done and really fun. They add in a lot of like these elements of Barbie, and they go to the Mattel office every episode and like talk oh, to people. Every show. episode, every episode, yeah. yeah. And they are obviously designing this dream house, and there's like a challenge at the end of each one of which room is the best. And it's it's like the perfect combination of like someone like me who loves HGTV. I was never a Barbie girl because yeah. I was a and tomboy. And yet the synergistic but... marketing hasn't worked on you because you've yet to see the film. Yes, so. because I, yeah. <laughs> didn't work but which, it's a fun way, show which is what me and matt and i were discussing were like i, I think it's a good movie but I, I also asked myself like who is this for like yeah well like, yeah who is the prime audience for it you i think it, like you're are i think it's a millennial movie like i i like i, I think sophia it would fly over her head and she's 12 old? okay she's 12 but do you but ryan yes, gosling there, is there for sophia very ryan what, what i would everyone. call Twitter intellectual, twin intellectual mm-hmm. themes mm-hmm. in the film, and that's not to. Di- I'm sorry, dis- did you mean X? <laughs> X. Sorry, yes, yeah, intellectual, um, and not to not to discount any of of you know the feminist theory and um, and equity conversations and cultural hypocrisy and and consumerism, like all that is very valid conversation to have. But is it a valid conversation to have in a <laughs> tentpole summer film with two of the biggest movie stars in the world? That is, you know, so but. What's amazing about it is I I, I do hope that uh, to me it's Gosling is so cartoonish in this it's mm. like straight out of Hanna Barbera which is it's glorious mm-hmm. but that's what's for kids mm-hmm. and then Margot and her journey is more for um, gay men and millennial women on Twitter yeah. uh, and that's just how I feel so maybe it's something for everybody but I don't know if your daughter went. Would she really have an experience of because she's right in that in between age, right? Yeah. Where she'd be like, is it pink enough and fun enough, or is it? Are these the themes she's talking about on like Snap or whatever <laughs> yeah. she's using? Yeah, yeah. It's the map that none of us know about. Kids, yeah. I'm like, what's that? Still, I, their earnings came out today. I'm like, Snap still exists. <laughs> I well, saw a guy on a dating app that was like something something at Snapchat, and I was like, mm. "That's a bot. Yeah. Honey, that's a, that's not a that's not a man. I was that's like, a is bot." This an ad? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but Ryan Gosling is a national treasure, and it, the, what I need to say is we give so much credit to Christian Bale for like losing weight for like the machinists and mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling became a Ken doll. Yeah, like True. he became a Ken yeah. doll. Right, to right be fair, of- Crazy Sexy Love, Ryan Gosling was kind of already a. Kendall. I would say, this I mean, t- and I'll die on this hill, that the color blonde they bleached him, washed him out, and that's why he got some complaints about his age and playing mm. Ken. Immediately mm. after this project, go look at his cover GQ style to promote this movie. Yes. He's back to like a honey blonde. He looks like the Ryan Gosling you know and love. Right. It's almost like Greta's like, let's put you in a grocery store milk aisle and see how <laughs> young you look now. Right. Um, but other than that, he was perfect. Yep. Right? Perfect. <laughs> So there's the Oscar buzz for causing, and then Oppenheimer, uh, like the, the most unknown movie he's ever made. Probably. It's a walk and talk. It's yeah. a it's a walk. It's and a talk. bait and switch yeah. for sure. <laughs> like I think people walked in, they were like, "Oh, we're going to see an atomic bomb go off." Yeah, and you don't see an atomic bomb go off. Spoiler it is, you see it's it, a play. Spoiler. Yes. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, listen, it's a play. Like it is. It is. Yeah. A, Everyone at home, a bomb goes off. A bomb what goes bomb off. And where yeah, I can't, yeah. couldn't possibly say. Exactly. I'm very. I, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to see it. To be honest, I will see that before I see Barbie. I guarantee yeah. it. But. I'm, I have a hard time with a three-hour movie. But so, it's rough. It, it's rough. I'm not yeah. a big theater. I've never been a big theater-going person my yeah. whole life. Yeah. It's just never been my thing. And so I'm like, do I wait until I'm home to watch yeah. it? And yeah. then I was like, have I you don't ever, really want to watch it on a small I, screen. No. Have you ever heard of um, Run P? No. It's an app that tells you when at which you point in the movie you should ask. go and pee because oh, okay, yes. not to be vulgar, but I think no, that's, that's part kind of the, the reason, struggle we all go through. Uh, no, a three-hour movie is kind of just a smack in the face. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, just it's, rude. It's, it's, it's insulting. <laughs> I, I um, hit rude. my wall 
at uh, 1.45, which I yeah. thought was the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, when, it's when they said the bomb went off, and I looked. I was like, oh, shit, there's an hour and 10 minutes left. Yeah, no. And then, and then it's like- Of Daniel Mole. Yeah, it's a 10-minute drag, and then it picks up. Then the last, okay. like, 45 are like- Yeah. Okay, that's where so, Robert Downey so Jr. comes alive. It's like okay. really good stuff. So that's when you pee. That's when you exactly. pee. Yeah, that, that 10 minute. By the way, the only I, I have to- after all this hype, and you know, I, I don't think that Cillian is a Murphy is a household name, uh, but there's not a super famous cast, but he's wonderful. But you guys, Emily Blunt is so she is she does something in this movie that she has never ever done on screen before, and it is incredibly impressive. She is brittle, she is not likable. I mean, she's mm-hmm. you know, gorgeous and meticulously groomed, like yeah, all of Nolan's of people, but like, I, I think that she to me, she walks away with the, the movie. She, she's got an Oscar so clip for sure. When, when it came, I was like, there it is, yeah. I'm now, and, and to also say, like, there's been a constant criticism in the world about Christopher Nolan movies, his writing of women characters is still highly problematic. <laughs> oh, yeah, Florence Pugh, Florence Pugh. <laughs> Is oh, hot girl in chair naked. Yeah. Like for her nine Never. minutes, I think, of screen time and the Oof. three hour movie. Wow. She's she also looks, a communist, so Yeah, she is a communist. <laughs> she great looks things all around. Amazing though, but she, it is it is rough. Well, yeah, you couldn't look bad but, if she, she couldn't but, look bad em, if she tried. But Emily that. Blunt is like she like she's like, Oh, I see what maybe you were trying to do here, so I'm just gonna take it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so else. excited I she's love gonna, her I think so she's much. Like, Finally, the drought's gonna be over, she's gonna get it this year. It'll be at a good year. And also You mean you didn't watch the English? <laughs> oh my god I remember that now Oof. you remember that now, <laughs> now. when did it come out like three days ago yeah. um, no um, like voters didn't remember I would, also, I would also argue that in his in his the thick of his career you know people have this very soft spot for Mento for Chris Nolan because that was his art it was a kind of an art house debut mm-hmm. but through his like you know Batman stuff and Dunkirk stuff I don't know that you'd when you say like who is an actor's director, you'd be like only Chris oh, Nolan no, yeah. can get this performance out. But I think this shows a different dimension to mm. to Nolan that like he can because the, the performance he gets out of her is something I've never seen. You almost kind of don't recognize her, which is what you want as yeah, an actor, right? Um, so I, I think that he's also he up his game Kill- a bit too. Yeah, he did with Killian Murphy too. I think yeah. he like. Like, Are we know. sure that's a hard C? I think it's. Killian I never know. Murphy. I keep yeah, hearing okay. it both I've ways, never, and I don't know. I'm the Irish one. I have no idea. I, <laughs> I believe it's. I believe it is Killian. Killian. Oh, Killian. I mean, listen. When I thought I was Kieran, when I thought I was Kieran Hines, I like flipped. I was like, "Is that Syrian?" Right. <laughs> Calling that man Syrian my entire life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's Kate Blanchett. So random. Blanchett. Like, <laughs> on the year of uh, uh, what's the Branagh movie? Uh, Belfast. Just, uh, Belfast. They introduce it to him. They're like, and now Katrina Balfe. I'm like, that's how you say that? <laughs> it's not like Katrina Balfe. Like, I'm like, it's just Katrina Balfe. <laughs> like, that's the most basic I, I love, I love an oatmeal can of it's <laughs> Adele Bazin. <laughs> yeah. But all, but just the last point on Barbenheimer, impressive $82 million on a three hour movie. Yeah. And I'm so curious about week two for it. Yes. Because. The bait and switch has happened. Yeah. People now know how will that play out uh, moving forward. But it's it's going to do great. I got to tell you, though, Barbie, meanwhile, that thing's not unstoppable. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a machine. At the theaters last night on a Monday night and the sea of pink. Just people there <laughs> probably re-watching the film for like mm-hmm. second or third time. We should reward behavior we want more behavior we want to see. Our 45 minute movies. Yeah. Yes. You mm-hmm. get rewarded accordingly. Like you get to play more during yes. the day. And like – there's a really good chance it is the highest grossing film of 2023. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I would say, I mean, I mean more than Super Mario? I mean, what did that pass? 530? 
Well, I'd have to check. Or, says or, the film reporter. Yeah, I'm like, I'll have to check that. I mean, if we're, if, we're, um, if we're talking domestic total, I think it'd totally be global. I don't think it will because Mario opened in Asia, right? Obviously, I did. Uh, I did China, think it got a China, China release. Yeah, China, got a China yeah. release. Yeah. So and yeah, Barbie did, but didn't do as like. I yeah. mean, it did good. But also, wow. I mean, it is crushing internationally, so it's yeah, very, so it's very, very yeah. possible. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, it'll be the first time a woman led the box office, right? Yes. Solo. Director and exactly. the final question is: I know Clayton, right now you have it as number eleven, just bubbling under your uh, your picks. But can oh. Barbie get a Best Picture nod? Uh, like, all right. So I, I'm just I'm going to say this, and I want them to hear me clearly. The Barbie fandom that are pro Oscar, like that are also Oscar buffs, are already making this insufferable. Like they're <laughs> already because it was like I couldn't believe that people were yelling at me and saying that like. This is going to win Best Picture, and I was like, "We have You're seen. Like, Did you see this? We've seen movies before. Like you've seen what they've chosen, and it's the same people. And listen, I was. I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit that I wasn't there for everything, everywhere, all at once, all throughout the season because yeah. I needed to see it in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it did. Yeah, and those same people are like, "Nope, Barbie's going to do." It. I'm like, "Guys, oh my god!" Like I just like. Those it are, can can it sure, but <laughs> those are the same, and I love them. It's 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 very Yas Gaga though. Yeah. It's very like a, a blind allegiance kind of mm. thing. But those are the same people that uh, our one of our colleagues, Rebecca Rubin, wrote this amazing story about the marketing campaign behind Barbie. Um, and the the head of uh, marketing at the studio said that um, he started getting like inundated with like people taking pictures of sunsets and being like shout out to the Barbie marketing team <laughs> for making this happen. That's the same level that of fan amazing. that thinks it's going. To win Best Picture, but you know, I lead of me. I mean, you never. I think know. the Academy is very high on Greta. I think she, you know, every studio I uh, um, had I've met with and interviewed or even seen since Little Women has always said to me she's a once in a generation talent. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, well, I don't know if this will be her year for Best Picture, but yeah, I think that I think you'll see Barbie. And oh, by the way, if the Oscars know anything that's good for them. This like, will be a Barbie themed Academy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. My God. like yeah. I was Paint saying, the Peter Pink. <laughs> I mean, if, if Barbenheimer, which I think is probably what's going to happen, uh, if it's Gosling versus Downey Jr. and supporting actor, yeah, and Barbie is able to convince the world that it's an original screenplay, <laughs> and Oppenheimer is in it, isn't a, it though? So. So it, it's my story. See, I wrote a story too, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like I work here too, no, no, as you all want yeah. to do. Um, so. The way it's described as adapted, it's you know in the in the credits it says based on Barbie by Mattel. Now Mattel mm. is a company, of course, and not a book or anything like that, so it fits more into that. But precedent is the Lego Movie mm-hmm. went original. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it was an original take. It wasn't yeah, based but it's a, on a book. The Legos didn't have like names. I guess the Barbie and Ken have names and they have likenesses and that kind of stuff. Right. Like they, a brand. It's still an original story, I think. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. it, like, it, yeah. it is a little bit in that gray area, you know? I think it's original. But but, but also, whatever the WGA classifies it, they say, okay, it's adapted, the Academy can go opposite. Where do you oh, think it has okay. a better chance? It would win original. It really? Would, I, I think it totally yeah. could win original yeah. because – I mean, I think it could beat past lives. I think in Adapted, it's going to go against Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon. And it's always about the important, quote unquote. I think the other sad thing is because Barbie Girl by Aqua is not an original song. (laughs) Ooh, but Billie Eilish's song is Yes, you're right. We couldn't get the Ice Spice Nicki Minaj Mm -hmm. thing because it's a sample, right? Right. Oh, man. But the Billie Eilish song is wonderful in that movie. It's actually a a really good The Dua Lipa song is a banger. (laughs) She should, I mean, she performs that on the Oscars. I'm just saying. All right. Well, okay. On that note i think we got to go but uh it is a barbie world that we're all living in That's so right. ken song Wait, how's it going? <laughs> i'm just ken i'm just ken yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. You Thanks guys are the best. Come anytime. See y'all soon. Bye bye. After the break, the stars and producer of Better Call Saul from Los Angeles. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. In the end, Jimmy McGill unbroke bad. Just when it looked like Saul Goodman, played by Bob Odenkirk, had finessed his way into a sweet plea agreement just seven years at the most country club-like of correctional facilities, he reversed course and confessed all in last fall's series finale of AMC's Better Call Saul. Saul, lawyer's here. Ma'am? No cuffs, please. Thank you. Hi, Jimmy. Hi. How did you... Uh, turns out my New Mexico bar card doesn't have an expiration date. You had him down to seven years. Yeah, I did. 86 years. Eighty-six years. But with good behavior, who knows? Better Call Saul's final season concluded the complicated journey and transformation of its compromised hero, Jimmy McGill, into criminal lawyer Saul Goodman. From the cartel to the courthouse, from Albuquerque to Omaha, season six tracked Jimmy, Saul, and Gene, as well as Jimmy's complex relationship with Kim, who is in the midst of her own existential crisis. Meanwhile, Mike, Gus, Nacho, and Lalo are locked in a game of cat and mouse with mortal stakes. Better Call Saul is nominated this year for drama series, drama lead actor for Bob Odenkirk, and supporting actress for Ray Seahorn, while Peter Gould is nominated in writing for the finale Saul Gone, and Gordon Smith is nominated in writing for Point and Shoot. In March, prior to the WGA and SAG After Strikes, I moderated an Emmy FYC panel featuring Peter Gould, who of course was the executive producer and co-creator of Better Call Saul, as well as stars Bob Odenkirk, Ray Seahorn, and Giancarlo Esposito. And here is that chat. I began by asking them, when was the last time they all got in the same room together? I think it probably was the um, SAG Awards, was it? There you go. Yeah, SAG Awards. SAG yeah. Awards. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so through these awards, through these, these events, you were able to kind of keep this going. Please that's nominate this, us so we can hang that, out. That's yeah. more. <laughs> that's the main reason we want to be nominated for Emmy. <laughs> so, so we have an excuse true. to hang out. <laughs> <laughs>
I know. Is there a way to keep this going through 2024, Peter? Maybe like quickly write oh, up a couple like, of shorts or something. A bunch of stuff off the cutting room yeah, floor. Yeah, make a, make yeah. an episode, a we special can, episode. Can, yeah, we could probably make another season out of just stuff on the cutting room floor. <laughs> or just like the Christmas episode of The Office. Just do like one like reunion thing. I know that you could make another episode out of me and Banks in the desert. <laughs> I know you could do that. Picnic in the desert. Yeah. Yes. But make it like a Christmas episode, like Ray was mentioning. <laughs> Somehow make it the occasion, because we never really saw them celebrate many holidays, but I'm sure they did, right? So, Peter, maybe like a little flashback. Hey, Mike, he holidays. must be so jolly. Oh, yes, that's yeah. true. <laughs> so, you guys ready for that? <laughs> yes. Mike has, <laughs> I always wanted to do the, uh, the Breaking Bad uh, Star Wars Christmas thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Mike has to get the blue math too. <laughs> Jesse's cousin on the planet Katankas. As long as, as, long as there are songs. That's, yes, that's and there will be songs. songs. Yes. I thought that, you wanted to get Baby Mike made. I thought that Oh, was Baby Mike. Uh, animators. <laughs> we got Baby Gus, of course. There we go. Breaking Bad, Little Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad Babies. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things you could still do with this. Oh, See? yeah. Come on. <laughs> And by the way, now that we know that some characters do live, the Kim spinoff that we're still waiting to hear about, uh, come on. Right? <laughs> we want to see that. Well, uh, it's been several months now since the finale. And l like I mentioned, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit of spoilers here, but I think everyone's seen it and probably seen it several times by now. So you've had months now to kind of really sit with it, sit with sort of how it all ended, sit with the reaction. I think the general consensus was you guys stuck the landing. That guy did. Wow. Yeah, all, that the credit, guy did. all the credit that to guy Peter did. and the writers. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, well, and the, the, this amazing cast. Well, we acted in it, yes. but we would have acted in any <laughs> shit you sent our way. <laughs> it's not like we would have rewritten it. So, you know, you guys nailed it. Well, Talk about the hell that must have been to try to to stick that land. Well, it was it was very unnerving and worrying because people are really tough on on final seasons uh, for good reason. You know, people audiences invested many hours with these characters, and uh, you know, how do you end it? How do you end this? I, in my mind, we're still figuring out serialized television. I mean, I I, I know it sounds crazy, but. Uh, you know, a show that goes, you know, 63 episodes after another show that went 62 episodes. How do you, how do you bring that to a satisfying conclusion? And, uh, and it kind of psyched me out. I'll be, I'll be honest, it psyched me out also because uh, I'd been part of Breaking Bad and, and, and I thought that ended really well. And so how, how are we going to do this? And, and we ended up going with our, well, I'll, I personally, I went with my gut. Uh, all the way, and uh, I didn't know if it was going to work for anybody else, but apparently yours, it worked for you, so that, make, that makes a big difference. Yeah, and, and, and I think uh, you know, the, the reaction is, yeah, these, these shows are tough to land, and we've seen many times where it, it, it is a struggle, and it's it sort of, uh, in some ways, people psych themselves out. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, well, you start psyching yourself out, especially if you start thinking, well, what would the audience like? Because yeah, if as soon as you start think, finding, picturing this mythical hydra-headed creature of the audience that thinks, every, you, you can just throw yourself off. You have to think, what do I like? What's satisfying to me? What's satisfying to the group? What works for us? And then, and then, if you, if it works for us, and we care about the show a lot, uh, then hopefully, you know, everybody else will like it too. 
Yeah, but at the same time, I love that Peter told me one day, like, there's all these um, clues that we have the these people doing extensive work, the dramaturgy of keeping track of, like, who met whom first in Breaking Bad and when did this person take on that job and all that. And you told me one time, while going for what your gut said the story was and the things that you wanted to say, you said, you know, there's a world in which you could just say, well, Saul was a liar. He was a con man. So I don't have to do everything that he said was true. And you said, I won't be cheap, though. Not to not to our fans. They're too smart. And you crossed all those T's and dotted all those I's. I was fascinated by it. Well, it's it's make, it's because the audience is so smart. That's what makes it so <laughs> difficult. Well, especially, I mean, we, we have some idea, obviously, what happens to, to Gus. We see exactly what happened to Gus at the end of Breaking Bad. Uh, in comparison... So unfair. Yeah, but this, <laughs> this episode had the greatest... Well, I kind of think the greatest Gus scene. The moment of the bar. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 and it's done so... Thank you. So subtly. And, and it's... Yeah, any other writers and show would have taken out a little hammer <laughs> and hit their points harder and and made you know made it louder and it was all done with feeling and with this guy's acting oh, and you. patience mm-hmm. on the part of the filmmakers mm-hmm. and on the part of the audience which gave us that Ability to sit with the character and sort of feel what they're feeling—that um, that scene is unbelievable, and it tells you so much about what's great about the Breaking Bad and the Better Call Saul universes. And, and, you know, the, the and, wonderful I, thing about um, in, in watching tonight too about each episode of this sixth season is that, um, and, and hearing you know it talked about in terms of what's a satisfying ending. Um, I keep coming back to the organic truth of what um, morally is right for people to do. And and that compass, when you said, I just listened to my gut, is so evident watching this. You know, there there is, you, you play the game as long as you can until you just can't play that game anymore. And the truth comes up for you. And and it, it gets so exemplified by that kiss. You know, that's a serious goodbye. This is it. And and it's it's a very interesting thing when you're guided by that. Um, I I give such such deep credit to to not only you, Peter, but to Anne and, and to Michael. Um, in, Ma- Michael, Michael Morris, Ma- Michael Morris, director. Morris director. He's here tonight. Where are you, oh, Michael? Wow. Also director of Chileza. Not up here. Oh my yes. God. Hey. Why yeah. is he not up here? Did we run out of chairs? He's, he's too handsome. There's no more chairs. Here. We won't we let anybody that I won't let anybody chairs. that handsome sit next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to be able to trust the material and trust, um, you know, your director uh, in a way that he's going to capture and guide you to a place where you, you know, for me, it's a, it's sort of the revelation of this is that you see a gush you've never seen before mm-hmm. in that yearning, in that longing. And, and for the majority of the scene, I'm not saying anything, and it's a tribute to Reed Diamond's performance that is just so absolutely real. And, and you could imagine all that. And, and I'm sitting there going, God, if I'm not gay, I certainly want to be. <laughs> you know? I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's such a romantic beautiful, lovely uh, scene filmically and also with the music and with desire and yearning and longing and then boom, it all goes away. So, um, Plus it just raises that question that gets asked of the other characters but instead you guys asked it of the, let's say, quote unquote, the villains or whatever, the cartel side or whatever of 
what did it cost you to be this person? And they don't ask those questions of characters like that often in shows. And I love to sing, whether it is a love loss or a life lost or sliding doors or any of that, I just loved knowing like there is a cost. To what there is chose. a cost. And the cost is that connection for Gustavo. Yeah. Um, and the cost, you know, maybe for Jimmy too. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bob, I mean, I just get so moved by that desperation of, you know, I love you. And so what? I mean, it's just such a yeah. powerful thing. And, and the way you guys play um, and the way you play that is is to how do I go on after this? But you're committed to this one thing. And that's, you know, that's all. Just doing an impersonation of my dog wanting to continue the walk. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like that sort of sliding doors thing that you mentioned because there is that moment where, for example, you see that look on Gus's face when he realizes, like, this is what he could have in another life. This is what he could have, and instead, he 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 can't, and so but it, it's he, he also, runs out. God, it's so great, isn't it? I mean, we watch shows all the time, and there's bad guys, and you're like, as a comic. I always want to do the bad guy's personal life. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 y- you know, because you're like, well, yeah, but you got to go home. <laughs> There's a great, great Saturday Night Live sketch Jack Handy wrote called Lair Under Construction about um, Dr. X- Evil's underground lair, but James Bond came too soon and they're still building it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, there, there's going to be a big tank here. It's going to have sharks in it. You, oh. if you had gotten here a month from now, anyway. But it's it's that thing of like, but he has to be alive somewhere as a person. I mean, he's holding it all in. We only ever see Gus as this, you know, incredibly controlled human, and 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 to see him. There's there's two times I see it, but you I'm sure could shed more light on this. Sometimes when he's dealing with Mike and Mike pushes back, he's he's not all powerful, or at least he's got to navigate that. And then um, when uh, in this scene where we see him, just can I break from the character? Can I do it? I mean, it, it really is reflective of you know what the need, and again coming back to the writing and the vision of how it unfolds is the need of connection. Like that's what we need. Yeah. And that yeah. that's so yearned for. And, and to see that uh, come out and the possibility of that, of just enjoying life for a, a few moments is, is really powerful. And I feel like he never got to open that bottle of 1978 Coat Roti. It's, it's sitting somewhere. No. So check under your, je- your chairs right now. We have vintage <laughs> bottles of 19, 19- for everyone in, no. But when you talk about the sliding doors, too, there's that moment when uh, Saul slash Jimmy is pleading with Kim and, you know, we can leave. We can get out of here. What would have happened if she had said, OK, let's go? I want to give uh, this is um, one of the many wonderful things that happens uh, on our set is the spirit of collaboration in the truest sense. Um, everybody working together, uh, everybody going over time, thinking like, how do we tell the story better? How can we be in service to the story better? And Bob and I had gone to, we frequently rehearsed the lines over and over because that's the last thing I want to spend a take on is lines. 
Um, and in this case, because it was such a difficult scene, we went to, we asked if we could actually have the condo set just to run it and walk it, never to cement our choices in without a director weighing in, um, but just to run it and walk it. And it, it had in the script that, um, we leave the room sooner, right? Like I, I, we should get Michael down here. Michael, can you sit on the edge? Will you please come down? But just and, more, and talk like, about but that like scene, in like Michael, a please. like a Sesame Street. Like we a come down here. And, all right, here's Michael Morris uh, yeah. and Ray. You talk, talk to, and I, I'll just say this: I want to Michael to share his. Uh, right, no, I well, do. No, no, no. Sit down for just this scene. Then you. So okay, you but so can you sit uh, in Bob's lap? Is do you that? Mind, do you mind? This is the <laughs> opposite of giving the people what they want. I'm just telling you. But in answer to your question, so we're rehearsing the scene, and we realize part of it is being on the train ride. When you are in these moments in a relationship where you're trying to make decisions in real time of what you think is good for you, but what your heart wants and what your brain wants, and and you can barely keep up with your own emotions, and Kim, who's so pragmatic, is trying to keep a step ahead of it and can't... Um, Oh my God, they just clapped for a chair. That's the nicest thing. <laughs> Guys, we have a chair. Um, you can take over moderating if you want. No, I, I'll, I, so, only for a minute. I do. I actually want to say, everyone, that scene, Ray is, Ray's bringing it up. She's talking about it. The, the scene where we're having the confrontation the in yeah. the apartment was truly a collaborative and. Michael weird. asked if he could come watch us yeah. running light. He goes, oh, he was, you were on well, set, right? So, you were like, yeah. can I come watch it? And then. You said we go, we have to stay with you guys. So then you speak to that. Yeah, I mean, okay, briefly. I mean, this is um, hi everyone. Um, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so what you're referring to is is the way that we chose to actually capture that scene because it was one thing was really obvious to me from the first time I watched you what you call running the lines, but was really conjuring moments in that scene privately, right? And I was there to witness it. And the, and the first thing that was obvious was that we would, did not want to cut the scene. Because what you would normally do, as I'm sure everybody in this room knows, is that you would break up the scene into these bite-sized sections depending on where geographically they are in the set. So the moment you cross into the bedroom, boom, that's a different setup. The moment you, you – oftentimes, even when you're going to come tight, there's a different setup. Certainly when you come back and you do another shot – so um, watching you work, watching the flow, because this is what acting is, and this is what writing is to me, is that the, the moments are dependent upon one another. You can't just go, okay, stop. All right, we'll pick it up from there again. It, you could, but you wouldn't get that. It, every moment is weighed against the moment before it and the moment after it. So um, in brief, what we did was invent a plot with the blocking that you guys had naturally fallen into, um, to use the camera to actually go with, and it's easier to do it, you just carry the camera, right, and just follow, we do it all the time, but not really on this show and not really in this moment. So we... Not through that skinny doorway. Not through that, well... Shout out to Eli the Dolly Grip. And shout out to our uh, giant bodied cameraman, uh, Matt. Who's, Matt Cradle. Uh, Cradle, oh, uh, Matt yeah. Cradle. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. fucking who, who, serious. Oh, who, Matt's here? Yeah, he's here. Who, who managed... Give it up for Matt Cradle. Yeah. Genius. Amazing, amazing Genius cameraman. Genius cameraman. Survived shooting Better Call Saul. Jesus, a genius cameraman. And so what we did was we, we formulated a way to stay with the actors, even as they went through tiny doorways into tiny rooms, even as they came back and fell into positions. And so it allowed every take to feel um, connected. And it's a very small, hopefully um, relatively invisible decision, but one that, that helped us get to where we were. 
It was awesome. It was an amazing thing. And and you know, you know, can I just say, whenever people do win awards, they always thank like Sony, AMC, and you kind of. I know people at home are like, really? Come on, kissing ass. But I mean, the the power, the 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 support that we got that allowed us to have the time to rehearse, change the shooting schedule, the plan, the shooting plan. This is one of the things that made this show so great. And I say this both to celebrate Sony and AMC and to scold <laughs> all the other producers <laughs> Everyone else. who don't give you that time and then wonder why can't we make something great? Well, because we needed time. It, it, we also had a cast. You guys would always come to set without question, without a single exception, come to set really knowing the scene and having thought about it and knowing every word of every scene. There was never, there was never kind of this, this feeling that, oh, wait, oh, we're, this is what we're shooting today? Uh, and and I, you know, a lot of that, I think, comes from, uh, I mean, from, from the fact that we have the best cast in television and also that, uh, you know, some of you guys were roommates. Right. Well, I don't want to turn this into the Sammy Maudlin show, but it always does. Yes, it does. Well, that's what it is. Well, also, and then I'm going to shut up and probably get out and give you your uh, seat back. But just to to point out that there is um, an extremely active and 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 uh, and educated about the show executive producer sitting over there, and there are four directors sitting on this side of the show, and I think that that that's a huge part of of how this community of actors is knitted together because everybody's thinking about all <clears throat> aspects of the show at all times and then still has the ability to filter it through themselves and their characters. And it's uh, very rare. Well, but before you go, though, speaking of the fact that both Ray and Giancarlo uh, had a chance to direct this season, which was, I'm sure, just a treat. Truly a treat. Truly a, a wonderful experience. And, and, and also to, to be allowed the privilege of doing that on a show like this that looks like this, too. That must have been such an interesting exercise. For, I got to say something. You know, when, you know many, many times in television, it moves so quickly on, on most network and other streaming shows as well. And when you come in as a director, there, there are people that are sort of you feel like are standing over your shoulder, um, you know, wanting to see if you're able and can. On this show, because we're such a family, there are folks who are there to to help you aid and abet and bring you to your best self. And, and I have to say the experience of directing on this particular show um, was really wonderful because things get shared and talked about. And, and one of the things I, I loved um, was that you know Peter would come and check in. First couple of days, people are there to just check it out, see what the vibe is, how you're going to do. And, and you figure, and then when the chairs are all empty, I'm going, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But then when Michael would show up and go, how's it going? And look and, and, and bring some, a thought to me or share a thought or talk about a moment, it was really wonderful. It, it felt, you feel supported. And, and that's the kind of television that it's great to be a part of. Of. Because then you have ideas and you go, is that just living in my own head? Hey, Michael, what do you think of this? Or when Matt Cradle told me, you know, we're never going to, uh, coming out of that, <laughs> out of the, the department store, you know, I, wa I wanted to go up into, into the air and come back down. And Matt said, that's all well and good, but we don't really do that here. And, you know, you could do it. And, you know, Peter will give it to you, but they're going to cut it. And to understand, <laughs> you know, yeah, and I love Matt for that. You know, think of a different way to create that rhythm. Um, um, and the shots of this tonight, I, I just got to say, it's just to get the sense and push the story forward with that overhead 
of everyone just hugging and, and I mean, you just get it. And those are the kind of things that I learned from and were so inspiring to me. Like, don't be complicated when you don't need to be. Be simple. Tell the story. And that's that, that's a beautiful thing about how this show operates. And I think we all bring that as as directors, but also as actors. Because I, I, I don't feel like I ever, as an actor, think like a director. I'm here to do this. Let's discuss this. And then when I'm directing, it's a, just a different motion and a different movement and a different thought form um, that I can then bring my best part of myself there to it. But I feel like... It's easier as an actor on this show to feel completely held up and supported as an actor by great directors. You know, you don't go, wait, wait, I don't agree with you. I mean, you can go, I'm having a sense that maybe I don't feel like that's organic. But when it's talked through in such a beautiful way, you feel supported and you feel like no one's trying to convince you to do something you don't want to do. And that's a beautiful thing it's about the trust because if I mean you're you're such a gifted, uh, brilliant actor with a resume that you could say like forget it my idea is the, is the best idea but you're open and we're surrounded by people that like you get the respect you give so if somebody has an idea that you did not think was a great idea most of us will try it on the set I, I didn't I, I, Michael said I'm gonna go better? over here now and he's literally behind me and I'm like thinking. Well, how is he going to get me, like how I feel? And that shot is brilliant, a part of my, and you came to me. I didn't say anything. He said, I'm getting a part of your eye. Oh, oh, oh well. <laughs> Wait, is that your Michael? <laughs> part of your eye. Uh, it's, oh, weird, oh. it's weirdly better than the real thing. Right. <laughs> your British accent sucks. That's my Michael. That was my Michael. Not so good. Well, you know, this, um, this, this is a show that has these these beautiful shots, like no other show, that where you can like watch it over and over again and catch something new every time you see it. And there's something, uh, you know, they they look like paintings almost. Some of these yeah. scenes, some of these shots. And I'm curious if you all sort of have a favorite shot from the series or, or a moment where you just remember looking at it and saying that is just beautiful how did they pull that there's off? no way i could pick uh, one and we've had a couple of different art directors denise pizzini doing the last one um and uh arthur albert and then on um, marshall adams doing uh, the majority of them and then later paul donachi but we also had matt cradle and paul and jordan uh slovis doing uh you know camera it's like they're making paint. You're right. You could freeze on like a Diebenkorn composition at all, at all times. Um, but I do remember distinctly feeling like, oh, I need to stop thinking about the fact that I'm in the middle of a painting. One day when I was doing uh, maybe season two, Kim's montage with post-its in the glass atrium, I distinctly remember thinking like, I have to stop being Ray looking around going like, I'm in a painting. Like I had to like, I was like, I'm going to act. I have to play the role. But there's, there's many, 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 many scenes. Yeah, yeah. I think that one scene where you're, Kim's in a car accident up in the hills there and they use that special camera at night, I think, and the, you see the city behind it you. It pulls up. Yeah. yeah. Also, Mike shooting um, a Werner. Oh Good yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Just breathtaking. Just yeah. just so many so many beautiful shots. And and about the directing that we you were asking, I feel the same as him. It's it's an acting thing as far as um it's the same as an actor or a director that collaborating with people and 
it starts with who Peter and Vince and Melissa Bernstein, um, Mark Johnson, Tom Schnauz, all those people hire too, which is collaborative people. Most of us came from live performing, theater, just like places where you're not, you're not going to get rich and famous here. <laughs> like this is, it's a collaborative team effort and we all want to be better. And uh, I care. I care what Claudia Azarmendi brought me as a prop and she cares what I think about my briefcase and this constant conversation um, to be better. And things like when people talk about the chemistry between our characters, uh, you know, most of my scenes were with Bob. I'm like, the tether you're saying, yes, we became real friends very and, and extremely close friends. But the, that, that chemistry that started from the beginning is because we respect each other's work enough that you will not do the pre-planned performance you did at home. No matter how hard you worked, my volley cannot be the same return until I see his serve. And that is actually what you're seeing on screen. And that relationship also is happening with my props master. And that relationship is happening with my director and uh, my cameraman. It's like, I trust you. Are we on the, t- are we on the high wire together? You got me because I got, I got you. And I, to me, when I watch the show, and now I'll get like goosebumpy. And even if I wasn't on it, I'd say this. That feels like theater. I remember being in theater and a set wall is falling and someone's costume is screwed up and the phone that's supposed to ring didn't ring and you would blink to each other like, we doing it? Are we going? And everyone's like, yes. And you see like a person in the wings going like, go, go, go. And we're like, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it because the audience assembled like they always have around a campfire late at night saying, tell me a story. Tell me a story and take me anywhere you want to go and, and, I'll, and I'll go with you. Um, I just got a little bit goofy there, but I, that's what I truly, that's what it feels like on our set. It feels like being in a play every day where everyone is like, you know what? You know who could pull the scene off? It's you. That's how they treat you. Yeah, it's truly wonder and expectation, and it's truly being present. I mean, I, I've, I've never been more present than on these sets and with more present actors who really are listening um, because things change at every second, and that changes the nuance, the timbre of your voice, your reaction, the way you look at someone. Um, all of that is alive, and, 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 and that's why I do this, is to be alive. It's an amazing and fantastic um, element of... Uh, and component of our connection together. Well, the amount of work that everyone constantly put into this, I mean, Peter, you must still be just amazed at your cast, the fact that, I mean, it helped that a bunch of them live together. So you had Bob and Ray and Patrick who were always, <laughs> who, who were doing the work. It sounded like 24-7 in this apartment. So they came, uh, you know, with with eight different variations of something. They, 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 they were doing the work like uh, no one does the work. I mean, as as a creator, as a writer. Yeah, no, it's it's the greatest compliment in the world that you know. I mean, we you know the 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 other writers and I and the other producers and we really worked hard trying to get these scripts right. We we spent a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. In this particular case, Ann Cherkis actually wrote the script and knocked it out of the park. But it's it's we're all we're all sitting there believing in these characters and in the story and and rewinding and saying what if it went in a different way and uh it, it's even, no matter what you do you 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 hope that 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 the folks on set and the actors and the directors are going to understand it and like like it and and it's the greatest compliment when people put so much of themselves into realizing in, into realizing the, the scripts and uh it's it's and it's I mean, it's certainly true of the cast but also you know it's the greatest feeling to walk onto set and there's 
members of the crew reading the next script and they get excited when the next script comes out. And that means, that means the world, you know, that people, people, we all would, everybody, you know, every, in every department, we're always talking about these people like they're, you know, the characters as if they're real human beings who, who mean something in our lives. And, uh, I think, I think that all, that all, that all comes off on screen. I think that's what makes it work. I think ultimately I think what makes it work was the audience and that what, what I, what I realized, and it was a great iterative experience was we would get more and more subtle <laughs> each season. Things would get not, hopefully not obscure, but we found that we didn't lead, need to leave the breadcrumbs as close to each other as we thought, because we had these, because the actors were putting so much into every moment, every silent moment, every word, we didn't need to say out loud as much as we thought we did. And each, se- each season, there'd be something that I thought, well, that's, is that going to play? It's just not, it's not said. The, the point of the scene is not said out loud. Are people going to get it? And then, boy, that, you know, they got it. They got it. And so that would give me give us all courage, I think, but the, you're next, right. that is, the I next season. But you that said this early on, that Breaking Bad sort of taught audiences how to watch shows yes. like that. Yes. That yeah. we benefited from that. And you're oh. right, AMC saying, I'm not going to cut those pauses. Do you know how many people would have cut the pauses in our show? <laughs> like, well, yeah, because no one's speaking for like 15 seconds, 40 seconds. The, the, the audience is with us enough to go like, okay, they're talking about wine. Wait, I know there's a reason the scene is in this, the scene in this show. I, Gus Fring, wait, he's going get, to get a drink at a bar. Wait, what? Uh, and, and then hopefully, you know, you stay, stay with it and then you start realizing what the story is underneath that moment. And, and that's, what a great thing. I mean, it was, it, what a wonderful thing to have people's attention. I mean, you again, know, and part of it is that that we, uh, in our lives, we're living lives that are that are constantly eaten up by our phones and computers and and by the music of the world that's piped in in malls and everywhere else, and and we're not used to being in kind of awkward and uncomfortable moments where you just take someone in, and this show has all that in it. And it allows you to be sort of uncomfortable. And as an audience, it allows you to observe that. And, and to realize that's real, you know? We just cover it up by our ha-ha-ha, oh, you know? I mean, that's what we do instead of just being there and checking it out and feeling that little awkwardness that I feel a lot and I'm not afraid of anymore. Um, and so when we see it exemplified in, in a show and those awkward pauses – it's really people taking each other's energy in. And, and it's strange because you don't get a chance to experience that all the time anymore. And, and Peter, to the heart of Gus Fring talking about wine, I was really hoping that was the spinoff as well. Just Gus, Gus on yes. wine. Yes. That, wouldn't there, that be that's a great that's Don't a great say that idea. too loud. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. Enough. You know how many jobs he has. I know. Let's <laughs> just add one I'll more. I'll take another one. We'll Especially one with more. this crew and family. Um, but yeah, someone else add to 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 the the the, the perfect also the, the cake you already have, but then put Carol Burnett on top of that as the Carol frosting Burnett. on that cake. Carol Burnett, who comes in and takes down Saul slash Jimmy. That's 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 the moment Best. too. But Come on. Uh, <laughs> she's got to get some Emmy love. Come on. I mean, come on. She's. She's Carol so good in Effing this. Effing Burnett, and and so fucking good in this. So so real, so, yeah. Real quick, uh, Peter, how did that happen? By the way, uh, well, it happened 
two ways. First of all, uh, this is the most Hollywood story. It's not my story to tell, but Vince and Carol shared a, a limo driver for a bit. And uh, Carol, Carol gave, you know, they, Carol liked the show. And, and so she reached out to Vince. And then I was lucky enough to be at, a, an, award, at, at an award show. And, and I heard, Carol Burnett wants to meet you. And I was holy shit. And I went over. I went over, and she is. I, I don't know. She's just the warmest, most open, but also brilliant and perceptive person you could imagine. She's very funny. She's uh, and and uh, as soon as I met her, I, wow. She's and then we had this idea because. Uh, we don't really, I hate to say it, we didn't really plan these things that far ahead. Uh, we, you know, we had this cabbie who, you know, in an earlier season had recognized Saul. Yeah. And, uh, like we the th- and now uh, he's, he's going to, the cabbie's going to be a problem. So what's Saul going to do? We thought, well, maybe, maybe the cabbie has a mother. Uh, wouldn't it be great to have Carol Burnett? And th- this is the amazing thing about this particular show was you say, wouldn't it be amazing to have Carol Burnett? And, and, we get Cal Burnett, uh, so it was, uh, and so that was that was that was really how it happened. And and we we were, uh, I think Vince and I got on the phone with her and just told her what the part was, and she basically said, "You don't need to tell me anything. I just want to be there." And and you know, it was a really difficult season to shoot. Um, Bob had had a uh, an episode, uh, but also, oh, and we also had a we also had a. Uh, you know, COVID and, and it was just, it was a really, really challenging season for us. I mean, it, you know, in our Albuquerque world and uh, everyone was tired. They were really tired by the time we got, because this also is a longer season. Other seasons are all 10 episodes. This one's 13. And, uh, you know, we used to just barely make it over the finish line to 10. And here we are, 10 was, we had still had more to do. And then there was Carol Burnett. And Everybody, it, 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 she had this miraculous effect on everybody. She just made us happy. Uh, and and I, that's what I saw on the set when I got, I, I wasn't there as much as I wanted to be, but what I saw on the set was everybody on the crew and every, everybody in the cast knew uh, how special the experience was going to be. And uh, boy, she just, she's, just, she's just great. And I, I hope she gets every award there is for this show and everything else that she does. Well, the, the, yeah. Shout out to Carol Burnett. Yes. Well, the, th- the thread of that, the thread of the cabbie and, and sort of using that as the device that sort of kicks off this entire run of those final episodes that leads uh, Saul to rediscover his Saul side and, and which then leads him into this trouble that then sort of brings about this, this about face where he suddenly in the end kind of breaks good to some degree in that final episode. Um, you know, when you guys were sort of mapping that out in the room, how, was it sort of serendipity when all these puzzle pieces sort of suddenly started coming into place? If you can call sweating blood out of your forehead, serendipity. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was no, it was just fear. You know, it's it, for me. I mean, the rest. I, I don't know who 
Actually, I don't know who's here from the show, uh, but I love you all. If you're, if whoever's here, I'm very excited that you're here. Uh, and uh, but the, uh, you know, we would, you know, we spent a, just an enormous amount of time talking about the what was the right ending for this guy, what would happen, and we had things that we had set up. I mean, it was an axiomatic for the show. We started off in black and white. We knew we had to end in that Omaha world, but what would that be? And it and it it took a lot of work. To, to, to figure it out. And I, as soon as I saw the first little bit in, in black and white of this, this, this season, I, I just knew it was going to work, at least in my mind. I, I really, uh, I was so excited by, especially the initial footage when we got into, it got into the black and white this season. Um, just because it was a different, a different tone, a different world. And Bob created this other character of Gene, who I, I I couldn't take my eyes off him because Gene Gene Bob went from the character who talked the most of any character I've ever I've ever worked with to Gene Takovic who actually didn't say all that much and it was it was uh, and also the mustache was great um, <laughs> uh, and and, uh, well, and then and then the, the the Ray in Florida character with the yes. the wig and yes, the whole yeah. other like sort of yep. you know, weird life that she's yep. living with the most boring man in America but. <laughs> I mean, it was, sad. It was sad life. Uh, By the way, when I read that script and the puzzle said uh, no image on it, I thought it was a placeholder because Vincent Peter are very particular in a wonderful way about the specifics of um, everything down to your props. And so I was like, oh, I wonder what puzzle they're deciding on. They must be having so many meetings. And then I got there. I do jigsaw puzzles a lot, and it was one of the puzzles that has no image on it. And that was real. And I was like, she's insane. She has <laughs> lost her shit. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I get it now. But uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And shout out to Jennifer Bryan. My costumes oh were my the God. saddest things I've ever seen. Uh, oh, my God. So great. And I went to see Carol on set. Carol had a fitting. And I was so upset that I didn't have scenes with her because I'm she's my idol, as she is, I'm sure, many of us. Um, and so Jennifer Bryan, who, do, who does the costumes, she and I are friends, and I was like, tell me when Carol's um, fitting is, and I'll happen to be in the studio <laughs> so I could go by. And she's texting me. She's like, she's a Kim Wexler fan. Get here now. I was like, what? So I'm, like, running down, and I miss her, and she goes in to do the shoot with you. Uh, and I came on, but they were doing camera tests in my sad flannel nighty and, like, the wig and stuff. And I come on. I was like, Carol, I just wanted to say hi. And because she's a Kim Wexler fan and she hadn't seen the script she goes what happened what happened I was like what oh and then um in the cutest voice she could she was like I'm sorry you look homeless and I was like I yeah I know but it's like (laughs) anyway I was like you'll read it she was like don't tell me I was like okay you'll you'll read it later so anyway we had a good time I mean, those, those last few episodes, and, and we got to talk real quick about the courtroom scene, which I know took several days to, to shoot, but I mean, that's a tour de force. I mean, how difficult was that, Bob? To- it was hard. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it was hard. And the crazy thing was that after, what was it, two days, Peter, yeah, yeah. I said, can we redo it all, <laughs> please? And we o- we only had... Two days, right? Or do we have three? We had three, and we added a fourth. We right? had, no, we had two. I, 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 we had two days, but there was a half day that I we had. had a, I had a trapdoor half day, and so we used the, we used the trapdoor half day, and we reshot 
uh, we did. We you did. Shot we my shot. We shot, we, sh- we shot your speech, That's and we right. had shot the shit out of it, mm-hmm. and it was long days. But you know what's weird? It's over the course of doing this particular show, I've become very suspicious of tears of emotion. Um, there are times when the character needs to show a lot of emotion and kind of crack open. And I had felt that I had been too emotional in those early, mm. in all of the early takes. And we had gotten through a whole thing. And of course, it took a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy, interior, internal energy to do that and to be emotional like that. And it can be very emo- very effective on screen and wonderful in some scenes. But after we finish all this, I go, man, I think I need to redo all of it. Mm. it. It's not right. It's not right that he... There was something... There's something that felt wrong about it. It felt like a misuse of that kind of... Uh, cutting, splitting open. And, and, and so you did find the time, and we redid it. And in the course of that, we found all kinds of other moments. It, 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 a, and this is the 20th takes right now because this is day three and we already did, covered it from every angle. And now we're going back and recovering, but not from every angle, but enough. And I'm doing it with a more contained performance, but I'm also seeing all these little turns and moments of who I'm talking to and who I'm, you know, he's doing that whole scene for Kim. The whole, the whole thing he's talking this way is for the person behind him. Everything he's saying, he's just picturing that person listening and he's talking to them and he's doing this thing that either they're supposed to directly hear or watch his perform his what he's doing and, and appreciate it on and he you will know, well, be affected by it. And he he go, he goes on such a roll that he starts confessing things that aren't even crimes, but just like other bad things he's done right. through the years. Right. And uh and and so we did it with a, a sort of more restrained version, I would say, and but it also had other little moments in it. Yeah, there's it, 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 you, we, that was it was a really exciting. I'm not a big fan image. of that idea well, of you know you, when you hear about movies where they shot 40 takes, and I'm like, please, come on, <laughs> you know, learn your lines or something. I don't know, but I mean, in this case, doing as much as we did really helped us find more to it. And I think more honest and better uh, uh, version, of just a more honest uh, performance it's, of it's, the character. Uh, 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 it's, it's not Saul's moment to say, my feelings are hurt. That's, that's exactly It's not. That's the. It's a tightrope because he might be having an incredible amount of emotional uh, uncertainty and fear and even sorrow, but it's just not his place for him to go. Please feel sorry for me, or I feel sorry for me. He's really working to try to achieve something. There are bereaved people in the room who died because of his actions, and so he can't. He can't. That's it's a tightrope because he can't be oh poor me, <laughs> you know. It's, it's uh, and, and but at the same time, 
uh, he's clearly he's incredibly peel, you're peeling him yeah. back. You're, he's yeah. the, it, what I love about the sequence and what it impresses me is that he, you kind of walk in there like a cock of the walk, yeah. uh, and 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 then and you know just very confident and solish. And then as as the scene goes on, you go back. It's almost it's almost like you're unpeeling the character moment by moment. To, Jimmy to, Jimmy comes back. Yeah, toward Jimmy the end. Yeah, back. I mean he yes. he really. It's an incredible lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. And, and but did, he's, did you, I'm sorry, did you guys shoot that before the final scene between uh, Jimmy and, and Kim? Yes. Because I imagine just the amount of work and, and because, uh, Ray, you were right there in the courtroom the entire time too. So after three days of that and, and sort of experiencing that, that must have also really informed that final scene between the two of you. Uh, well, yeah, and Peter and I had some really great conversations during the courtroom scene about the look she gives him when he finally is owning his stuff. And I said, um, by then I had seen the the final script, and I said, uh, well, I mean, I sorry, I had read the whole thing, um, and I I said, what is the journey that we have when she gets. Uh, to the prison scene? Because if in this moment the look she gives him when he turns around is. Um, in whatever iteration it will be, I will always love you and we will always have a connection. If that's now, what are we playing at the end of the episode? Um, and so we talked through that and tried to, you know, uh, modulate what it is that she's saying in the courtroom, which is, um, it is, it is a tether that is being rebuilt for sure, but it can't be the end. So now we leave it there where it's been a couple years. Uh, does, does Saul somehow get out for, or Jimmy get out for good uh, behavior? He makes puzzles for Kim. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where do you think these characters are now? I already, I asked Peter for permission when we did the press tour after it aired. I was like, cause he said, I want to make a, I want to make an, I want to make a finale. If I may, you said, um, I believe there is a love story at the core of this. Uh, but I would like a finale where the characters live on and you have questions afterwards. And I said, well, I think you aced that. Um, <laughs> but I said, but if anybody gets asked me just personally, because I'm a hopeless romantic, I was like, I think she, I think she does start to practice little by little. And I think she tries to decrease his sentence and they, min- they maintain a relationship. It's, there's no happily ever after, but there is a savior soul and a lifelong connection uh, that happens, and there was one thing in the in the finale. We uh, when he does finger guns at me, we shot that I did finger guns back, mm-hmm. and it got cut out. Yeah, and I at first I was like sad because of the hopeless romantic part of me. And then Peter said, "We watched it, and it looked like Kim was back in the game rather than Kim is saying I'm there for you forever." And I said, "Oh yeah, I don't want that," and I agreed. And weirdly, he's a showrunner, and I'm not, but. Um, <laughs> It was the right decision. And More it hair lovely. tearing. I think what happens is... He's so negative. Don't Bob Odenkirk <laughs> takes all his money and invests it yeah. in um, cookies, a, co- uh, a chain of cookie, uh, cookies and ice cream and little hot dogs. And... It all goes bust. He loses all his money. He comes banging on Peter Gould's door. <laughs> There's got to be another series. 
<laughs> I think Saul slash Jimmy becomes a college professor at a small town. I don't know about that. Grows a beard. Yeah, grows a very beard. thick beard. But in my th- version, we I knock on your door. I've lost all my money. Everyone in Hollywood knows it. <laughs> and I knock on your door and I go, please. And you're like, I don't get this fucking guy. I don't know, shake him off. So it's for the network and it's for a, you know, one of the, you know, advertising networks, whatever, uh, you know, like main networks, ABC, whatever. And uh, you, and it's with the show you originally pitched me. You, there you, you go. You and Vince, Dr. Peter. D- Dr. It's, Katz. No, it's the, um, it's the procedural. Right. Saul gets out of jail for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, he has a different client every week. Yeah. And he gets him out of jail. Yeah. He keeps him, he gets him. He never goes to court. Yeah. So we go back to the original idea that you originally pitched yep. me at the Chateau Marmont, procedural show, Saul Goodman, different client every week, and he, they never go to jail. Then they, and he gets them off because he manipulates everyone. I, I love it. I'll watch that. It's like a murder she wrote. Murder she wrote, yes. Okay. It's called Lawyer She Wrote? What? No. <laughs> well, we Whatever. Have many... it, it's a great idea, and just let me lose all my money, and we'll do it. Okay. We have many different options here for spinoffs, but for now, check out uh, Lucky Hank happening right now as we speak at AMC. Wait, what about this? I dare you to list all of his shows. So Carla has 20 and shows. Movies. So. Challenge you to list now, all can your you shows. List Let's go. Your movies and shows. I, I, seriously, I want to hear. I don't them. think so. Come there's on, some, come on, come on, try. There's some, some, some surprises in store. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know I'm doing. Are you in a show? Are we I'm in a show right now? Right now. <laughs> yeah, Godfather of Harlem, of course, Saul, um, uh, Mandalorian, The Boys. Um, I got a few happening right now, and a few new ones coming up soon. Uh, yeah, Parish. Right now, you guys Parish don't realize AMC, this. Parish. You don't realize this, but Giancarlo, right now, as we speak, is in London shooting. Oh, yeah, The Gentleman. <laughs> Thank yep. you, Bob. Yep. It's amazing. Yep. It's amazing. You guys well, are so challenging. This is not about me. <laughs> well, totally well, go back. Fine. Just tell us what our call time is. <laughs> go back and rewatch the final season of Better Call Saul. Go back and watch the entire series. Six seasons. Yes, indeed. Congratulations. Thank everybody. you. Thank you so much. That's Bob Odenkirk, Ray Seahorn, Giancarlo Esposito, and executive producer Peter Gould of Better Call Saul. That's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.